0: For over 5,000 years of documented history, people have been using the cannabis plant as medicine. From ancient Chinese medical journals to the modern-day dispensaries, cannabis and its many medical uses have found their way to every continent on Earth. Today, as the prohibition against this plant is slowly being lifted around the world and our technological capacity grows exponentially, we finally have the opportunity to discover what this plant is truly capable of. Please join me Matthew Myro, as I speak with the remarkable innovators working at the cutting edge of these discoveries. This is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine. Hello beautiful people, and thank you for joining me for this episode of the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. The place to be if you want the latest out there in medical cannabis, whether it's new technology cool information from growers and processors or just the latest medical science, you know that I'm bringing you the experts so that you can hear exactly what is current and on the cutting edge. And this week, I'm bringing you another guest doing just that. His name is Josh Kirby, and he is the CEO of a company called Kinslips, and they have created a very unique delivery method that I think is quite revolutionary. And in this conversation, we get into exactly what that delivery method is, and I'll give you a hint. It has to do with sublingual absorption, which we go deep into, and also talking about that versus edibles and why sometimes edibles can be so unpredictable when you eat them. We go into all sorts of subjects. It was really fun. He's a great guy, and I can't wait for you to listen to this episode, but first... Make sure that if you're not subscribed, go ahead and subscribe and head over to wherever it is that you're listening to this episode and leave me a review. These reviews help so much to get more ears on this information. And I know you want more people to know more about cannabis because if you didn't, you wouldn't be listening to this show. So let's grow this community. Let's grow this industry together and keep making a difference. Leave me some stars. Leave me a review. Let me know what you think. And without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Josh Kirby. I am Matthew Myro, and this is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. And today's guest is Josh Kirby. Josh is an entrepreneur, artist, musician, and inventor currently developing sublingual cannabis technologies. Josh is the chief product officer, co-founder, and inventor of Kinslips, a brand of cannabis-infused sublingual strips that are available in California and now Canada. Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, Matthew. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you here. I've got a lot of good questions for you because uh, your publicist was kind enough to ship out samples, oh, and which uh, me and my fiancé, we have very much enjoyed this week. Awesome. And uh, But before we get into all that, we were talking about how you were a professional and touring musician and working in the music industry, and you made a switch a little bit Mm -hmm. more stationary in California (laughs) and, and doing the Kinslips thing in the cannabis world. So how did you make that shift?
1: Um, it was sort of a, a forced shift a little bit. So, um, when I was touring a lot, I was never really at the level where, um, you know, I could afford to live off the road. And so you would end up in these situations where you'd be on the road for two months and then you'd be off for two months and you'd be on for two months and you'd be off for two months. And when you were off, you had to find something to like to do, you know, you'd have to find some way to make some money. Um, And I ended up working with this group that was kind of exploring different um, just different entrepreneurial opportunities. Basically they wanted to look at, different industries where laws or technology were changing really rapidly. Um, I don't know how I I ended up being qualified for this position, but I ended up helping them try to scout out different opportunities. And one of the areas I got tasked with looking into was the cannabis space. And I got really, really fascinated by what was happening in cannabis. This is around 2012, 2013. Um, and really quickly realized that this was something that I wanted to commit to for a while. And, um, I was living in New York at the time, um, and packed up and moved out to Seattle to try to actually get involved on the ground in the cannabis industry. And that was how I got my start. Cool. So what was so attractive for you? There was a couple of things that I really liked about cannabis. Um, one was that it was kind of this just like brand new world of, um, of opportunity, you know, both from the business perspective and from a product side. Um, And so my natural curiosity was what could I do within this field that isn't being done. And the great thing about where cannabis was at the time, and this is still kind of true a little bit, um, was that the laws around it prohibited, you know, big players and like real professionals from coming into the industry at the time. So someone with very, very little entrepreneurial experience and very very little product design experience, I could come in and very quickly, um, you know, be towards the front of the pack because there just weren't a lot of people who were doing it. You know, there was this massive transitioning ha- happening from the illicit market to the legal market, and until it got to where it was a year or two ago, big people weren't weren't playing in the space. So there's a lot of opportunity for people to just come in and make a name for themselves.
0: So with Kinslips, how long did it take you before you found your way to that iteration of the industry?
1: Uh, it took uh, it took quite a while. So we knew really early on that we wanted to kind of solve the problem of trustworthy cannabis products. Um, this was, like I said, right around 2012, 2013. And so this was kind of the heyday of medical cannabis, where you would go um, to somebody's office, pay them $40, pretend you have a back problem, and they would give you a card to go get cannabis. and that was great for all the people who you know wanted to use cannabis for whatever reason you wanted to use it for but one of the things we noticed was there were people who had legitimate reasons for needing cannabis as a medicine and the only non smoking products that were available to them were like brownies and saran wrap um, you know, and, and there was no testing associated with a lot of these products. There was even, there wasn't even really dosage information that was relevant. You know, a lot of times you would just see the, um, the dry flower content that went into the batch of brownies kind of written in Sharpie on the Saran wrap, like one ounce OG Kush or something. And there's this, just this huge disconnect between people coming in, trying to find medicine for their, um, you know, their chemo related nausea or pain. Um, and the only thing that wasn't smoking weed was here's this weird brownie that you can't trust. So um, that really became the focus for us was how do we create trustworthy products that would be kind of um, uh, that would be interchangeable with something you would see at the shelves at Walgreens or Whole Foods or someplace where people would normally go to find some sort of solution to a problem that they have. Um, And so we wanted to focus on, creating a product that people were used to and, and something that would be useful and efficient for them. And so the initial thought was, let's try to make gum. Let's try to make a cannabis gum and see how effective we, how effectively we can do that. And so I did a bunch of research. Um, I learned about the gum making process. I learned all the equipment you need to get. I learned how to make gum. I ordered all this, this stuff. Um, and I was in my kitchen kind of just like making this not super good gum, but I figured out how to make gum eventually figured out how to put cannabis into it. And then what you realize really quickly is that gum is just a bunch of fat molecules, essentially, and cannabis is lipophilic, which means it sticks to fat molecules. And because you don't swallow gum, your um, metabolism doesn't ever actually break those bonds apart. So you're just stuck with like the cannabis in the gum and you're chewing and you're chewing and it never actually goes anywhere. So my, this was like, it took a few months to get through this. This initial failure. Um, and then the next kind of idea was, well, maybe we can put a candy coating on the outside of this thing, put all the cannabis in the candy coating. And then when you bite into it, that'll break apart, that'll dissolve in your mouth and go down into your, um, your system. And then you can just spit the gum out whenever you want, like normal gum. Uh, turns out those candy coatings are really, really hard to make. And I tried for another couple of months to figure out how to do that. And in the process of trying to get that to work, I accidentally figured out how to make these sheets of really thin kind of fast dissolving candy. And that was the spark of inspiration that was like, oh, this should really be the product. We should really focus on doing a dissolvable strip. Um, and at the time it wasn't even really, um, you know, we didn't have this intense focus on sublingual um, and sublingual absorption and making it a sublingual strip. That wasn't even a concept we were really very familiar with. And so we marketed it as sort of this novelty breath strip product. And that was really how we got our start. And that was eight, seven or eight years ago now that we launched the first one of those, and we've just been iterating on it ever since and reformulating it and trying to make it better and faster and taste better and all those things. When did you make the move from the top of the tongue to the bottom of the tongue? That happens... um, So so we built that company in Washington for a couple of years, and then we started learning a lot about um, sublingual absorption, originally actually through some of our customers who were using the product. And they were like, hey, this works better when I put it underneath my tongue. Um, And we even had a number of people who had been using things like Suboxone strips um, in the pharmaceutical world for, you know, opioid treatment, um, or pain treatment. And they said, Hey, this is just like this other product that I get. This one goes underneath my tongue. Should I put this one underneath my tongue? And so that started us down this path of learning what's going on in the pharmaceutical world with these strips. How are they utilizing them? What technology do they have? What can we borrow? and bring into the cannabis world to make a better product for cannabis consumers. Um, this was around 2000, late 2015, maybe early 2016, when we started to make this transition and we actually closed the original company we had in Washington and moved down to California to kind of restart as a sublingual cannabis company. And that's what our focus has been on ever since. Great.
0: And What can you just dive into the sublingual process? What makes it more advantageous than just above the tongue and and other edible?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So uh, at its its most basic um, form, sublingual absorption of drugs generally is just faster and more efficient because you are taking the drug through less processes in your body in order to get to the place where it's, where it's utilized. So with cannabis, cannabis, specifically the major cannabinoids that we talk about, like THC and CBD, those are efficacious when they're in your blood, they need to be in your bloodstream, moving around so that they can interact with all the different receptors in there and start firing off all the signals throughout your endocannabinoid system. When you take an edible orally, or you take any sort of oral form of cannabis, or you dissolve a strip on top of your tongue, then it goes down your throat, into your stomach, through your stomach. Some Sometimes it goes into your intestinal system, um, but, but somewhere between your stomach and your intestines, it gets absorbed through the walls, goes through your liver, and then it makes it into your bloodstream. So it has all these different steps that it has to go through, which is why edibles generally take about an hour to kick in because it takes a about an hour to go through that process and reach your bloodstream where it can become efficacious for you. Um, The difference with sublinguals is that underneath your tongue, there's this really special little membrane uh, that is really porous. It has all these little capillaries in it that allow drugs to transfer from the top of that membrane, that little squishy part under your tongue, Down into your bloodstream. And it's a direct path right through that membrane into your bloodstream. And so, if you can formulate a drug properly and get it to pass through that membrane efficiently, then you can have a much faster uptake, which is kind of the most obvious benefit to a lot of people. But the other major benefit is that you have a more pure experience. And that's important with some drugs and it's not important with other drugs. It depends on how your body metabolizes them. But one of the things that People kind of intuitively understand after taking edibles is that the edible high, quote unquote, that you experience from THC is very different from a smoked cannabis high. And the main reason for that is as delta 9 THC, which is the main active ingredient in cannabis, as that goes through your digestive system, it gets partially converted into this other molecule called delta OH11 hydroxy THC, this other metabolite of THC. And that metabolite, first of all, the, the, um, the transition from Delta nine to Delta 11 is sort of random. Um, it depends on the person. It depends on what you ate that day, how much exercise you've had, how much water you had. There's a million different things that can uh, affect it. And so it's impossible to predict how much of it is going to actually kind of convert over. And then that converted form is really, really psychoactive. So it has a completely different feel and that's why you can take like a 10 milligram brownie one day and have sort of, sometimes you can have no effect and then you can take that same 10 milligram brownie the next day and you can have this completely like borderline psychedelic experience. Um, and that could turn a lot of people off, but what happens when you take something sublingually is because it doesn't pass through that, Um, that digestive system and it goes directly into your bloodstream, you get Delta nine THC in its normal pure form. Um, And so you get a faster effect and you also get the effects that are, that are much more like smoking or vaping that have that much higher clarity. And the intensity is more uniform from dose to dose.
0: And it seems to last longer as well.
1: It can last longer. Um, It's, there, there isn't, there aren't a lot of really great studies about this. Um, and this is true for, for a lot of things that people like talk about within with cannabis. Um, the, the way that cannabis is metabolized in your body has a lot to do with you as an individual and your specific biochemistry and what you choose to do while you're using the cannabis product, um, more so than the actual consumption method itself. Cause sometimes edibles can last a super, super long time. Um, And sometimes they, they don't like, if you're going to take an edible and then sit on a couch and watch movies for four hours, then that's going to last forever because your body's not processing blood through your liver and your liver is what's actually converting stuff through that chain of metabolites down into non-psychoactive compounds. But if you're going to take one and then go to the gym and lift weights really intensely for an hour, that's not going to last very long because your body's going to be processing stuff really, really fast as it pumps blood through your system. So it really depends on like, what you're doing, who you are as an individual, and, and a kind of like the conversion from Delta 9 to Delta 11, the length of the effects is very much up to you as an individual.
0: Yeah. I Personally, I found that it lasted four or five hours for me. I could still feel lingering effects even that far down the road. I was nice. very pleasantly surprised.
1: <laughs> awesome. And that was from the the strip or from an edible?
0: From the strip. Yeah. Oh, from, cool. from the kin strip. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Exactly. That's awesome. It was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so what are some of the products that, that you offer there?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Thank you for allowing me to shamelessly plug the brand. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, uh, so we offer four different blends of our products right now. Um, and we create those bre- blends by combining different cannabinoids and terpenes together to try to deliver specific effects or different useful benefits. We have two THC blends. We have one called Cloudbuster, which is designed to make you feel energized and creative and focused. You can kind of think of it like a sativa, although it's not derived directly from sativa strains. That's not how we formulate our products. Um, it's kind of designed to mimic the best of all worlds of sativa products. Um, then we also have another blend called float on. This is, this is our other THC blend. It is designed to be relaxing and kind of tranquil. Um, it's essentially, a, a, a super Indica is one of the ways we like to describe it internally. Um, and then we have a CBD blend called park life. It's 10 milligrams of CBD, one milligram of THC that's designed to really, um, be for people who are not looking for a psychoactive cannabis effect but are looking for a little bit of thc to kind of boost the the efficacy of their cbd products um, that one is really more towards kind of day-to-day pain management um, anxiety management um, you know anything that you would want to use maybe an aspirin for and you want to sub it out for something a little more natural park life's a really good choice for that And then our final product, which is our most popular product at the moment is called shut eye. It's formulated specifically for sleep and it's a blend of CBD and CBN, which is a mildly sedative cannabinoid, um, which is a a degraded form of THC.
0: Right. And so what, what are the different formulations that you're using? How are you? Extracting the pure forms of THC, CBD, CBN, and then what other terpenes and things like that are you including in order to uh, to reach what the entourage effect or we call it the ensemble effect?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we don't actually do any of the extractions ourselves. That's not our core competency. We're really good at making these strips and formulating these strips and everybody else is better at everything else. So they can all go do that we work with these really great extractors throughout the state of California to get the different forms of cannabinoids that we use. Um, so when it comes to CBD, we tend to use, um, the isolated form as much as possible, which is like a white kind of granular pure powder. Uh, and then with THC and CBN, those are usually uh, presented to us in the form of a distillate. So it's a kind of Amber, you know, clearish liquid, um, and, It's not, it's not as pure as an isolate, but it is mostly just the main cannabinoid that you're looking for. And then there's some other residual plant matter that's still in there. So the idea for us, for our products is to make it so that every single time you have one of our strips, like if you're going to have a cloudbuster 10 strip, we want that from batch to batch to be molecularly homogenous so that you're always having the exact same experience or depending on your specific biochemistry we're giving you the greatest chance possible of having a similar experience from dose to dose there's a little bit of that that's out of our control because everybody's different and what everybody eats and does and how they behave is all different um but that's generally the goal. And so working with the highest purity possible is really important to us and then combining them together in useful ways is is also really important. And the way that we the way that we land on our final formulations of which combinations of cannabinoids and which combinations of terpenes are we going to use is usually by just scouring the data that's available to us on the internet and trying to make educated guesses about how these things are going to perform towards this particular goal and then testing it um, in sometimes in a double blind way sometimes not depending on the particular product and what we're trying to accomplish Uh, testing that with as many people as we can so we'll do things like you know we'll make a batch of a few hundred of these and then we'll give them out with a google survey to try to get people to rank how they're feeling and you know what sort of effects they're experiencing and how it changed their behaviors and all those things, and eventually arrive at um, at a formulation that can re- fairly reliably do what we predict it's going to do when given to anybody, um, given given to any random person. Um, and one of the ways uh, that we actually formulate these things and and come up with the different um, kind of terpene combinations is we look at um, the the best customer uh, repository of strain information in the world, which is Leafly. Um, I don't know how much time you've ever spent on there, but you can go on Leafly and you can find for any given strain there's, there tends to be thousands of user submitted reviews for those. And what's really great about them is it's not just like five stars. I got super high. This was awesome. Love it. It's like, um, you know, they'll rank them on these sliding scales of, I felt this relaxed. I felt this anxious, I felt this euphoric, and there's all these different criteria that you can rank it for. And so if you're looking to create a product that has a particular effect, you can just kind of go on leafly and see which of these strains tends to induce this effect more than other strains. And, and maybe I find five or six strains that have a really kind of outsized relaxation reaction to them. I can then go to the testing data for all those strains and kind of find what's the average terpene profile of this, of these strains and what are the common either ratios or common Uh, major terpenes that are in here um, and then kind of use that as the basis for formulating the initial guess at the product. You know, all of these things have a huge amount of linalool in them and basically nothing else. Maybe let's try to start with linalool for uh, this relaxation product that we're trying to make. Um, And you can also cross-reference that a lot of the times with um essential oil studies so while there aren't a lot of specific cannabis studies that look at specific um kind of subjective effects you know there's a ton of cannabis studies about um cancer and pain and efficacy and all that and safety and all those things there aren't a lot of studies that are like this particular cannabis strain does this subjective thing like it makes these people more relaxed or whatever but you can find an endless amount of studies on um, like uh, Japanese forest bathing, for example, which is just like extreme aromatherapy in all these different sessions. And all these other aromatherapy um, studies that will say we used this combination of clove oil and cinnamon oil and rosemary oil. And these are really the effects that were induced in this group of people. And um, what's really great about that is they all use the same basic components. So, like rosemary oil has three major terpenes in it that are all found in cannabis same with most of these kind of plant based oils and medicines and so the more you kind of understand about how all these things are concocted and the more you dive into these studies the more you can find not 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 certainties but you can find really strong correlations between these groupings of of molecules and and components and an effect that they'll probably induce
0: I really love the thoroughness of your research there and making it happen, because I I really believe that the future of cannabis medicine is going to be in formulations like what you're doing, making sure that there is enough of a mixture of different phytocannabinoids, but then bringing in the essential terpenes to be able to make the desired effect possible. And the only way you can really do that is through, through isolates or really fine distillates, because as we know, if you're trying to use a plant, I mean, depending on where you're pulling the flower from on the same plant, it's going to test differently. Absolutely, it's incredibly difficult to have any kind of commonalities across batch to batch to batch. So I commend you in the research that you've done and and what you've been able to create so far. So it seems like it's highly effective.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, that's something that we really try to stick to our guns with, and and I, I there's There's um, definitely a place within cannabis therapies and within kind of plant medicines generally for this concept of, you know, broad spectrum or whole plant extract or all those things, you know, you want to be able to offer somebody something that is as close to natural as possible in a lot of cases, especially if you're not going for specific targeted therapies or effects. Um, But if you are trying to offer somebody a specific medicine or a specific drug that is going to have a a serious effect on them then it's it's our belief that it's important that it be specific every single time and so the problem with doing something like a a full plant extract is that yeah you got everything out of the plant but what is it and why you know like it's great to be able to do that and it does work for a lot of people but there's something in there that is causing it to work and what we want to know is what that is and how do we utilize just that and take everything else out that might be muddying up the effects that that we're looking for
0: right yeah. better living through science yeah, <laughs> yeah thousands of years we've been working with this plant and it obviously has great medical benefits Or else we wouldn't be doing it for this long and we live in a really cool time where we can take these kinds of processes and create formulations to do exactly like you're saying
1: yeah absolutely
0: So how did you come up with some of your flavors? I had the watermelon mint was such an interesting combination and just curious how you'd come to those.
1: We actually came to those. um, So we layer our flavorings on after we've created our terpene profiles. As as you know, maybe your listeners, um, I'm sure your listeners know because you always talk about really high level cannabis stuff on here, but flavors are basically just terpenes, right? They're flavonoids, they're terpenoids. It's, it's really the same compounds. A lot of what gives food flavors is what uh, is is terpenes um, or those types of molecules. And so we were left with this choice with making our product, to, do we want to try to mask these really intense flavors or do we want to try to work with these flavors that are already there within our formulations? And we really quickly learned that we didn't even have the room to try to mask the flavors really, because our product is so small. Like the, the strip itself weighs about 75 milligrams. And so much of that is... Um, necessary structural components to make it actually like be a strip and dissolve properly and hold the cannabis in there so you have really really limited space for masking agents and like all kinds of stuff like that and then layering flavors on top so our only real option was to try to work with the flavors that were already in there and so we basically just kind of did the same thing we did to create the formulations but in reverse we looked at, okay, we have this group of terpenes, what fruits and herbs and other stuff already has an abundance of those terpenes in it. And let's just use those flavors.
0: Smart. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to take a little turn here and I know that you've just recently launched in Canada. Mm -hmm. And so does that mean that you have another lab or kitchen or whatever you call it up in Mm -hmm. Canada to be able to make your products up there?
1: So, um, we don't have another lab up there, but we partnered with a company called Alifia uh, Health in Canada. They're a licensed LP up there. And so they have a number of facilities. Um, and then in, in Paris, Ontario, they have their um, infused products facility, or I think they call it in Canada, Cannabis 2.0. Um, and so they have essentially um, a duplicate of our lab here in, in California of our manufacturing process. We worked with them to set up that same facility in their, their Paris, Ontario facility, so that we would, could be producing roughly the same products. There's, there's slight differences in the regulatory allowances between the United States and and Canada or California and Canada. And so their product is a little bit different, but yeah, essentially we had to create a whole new line to be able to, um, to get the product going, uh, in Canada. And it was further complicated by, um, COVID-19 hitting and us not being able to be there to help them set it up. So huge credit to their team. I try to shout them out whenever I can, because I, I still can't believe that they were actually able to pull this off. We essentially just gave them a bunch of documentation, hooked them up with all the different vendors that we use and made videos of us going through the process and making the product. And they have been able to create an amazing product and get it off the ground and get it launched in Canada. That's great. Kudos to them. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And so because of the the legality across the nation, then your product can travel across all provinces then. Is that true?
1: Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so it's it's very different than in the U.S. um, where we are kind of working against the federal government here and it um, tends to hamper everything we want to do within the cannabis industry. Their, their cannabis industry is regulated more like a pharmaceutical company would be regulated. And so you can go into all the different provinces from, from one place. In Canada, all the provinces have their own like um, buying teams uh, and, and every province is a little different. So you have to kind of like sell into each province individually, which is a little strange, but um, yeah, it, it works really well for them because you have access to a much larger market. And then because it's federally legal... Um, Canadian cannabis companies can get permits to then sell into other countries and and export because you can export through federal channels. Wow.
0: Hmm. So what are your plans to move across different states in the u s?
1: So we don't have any uh, actual plans right now. Um, we're looking at a bunch of different options for how we can get into other states. Obviously, there's the way to do it like we did it in Canada, where you kind of you know, license the the technology and then you teach people how to do it. And then, you know, you have, um, you ha- you have the product into, into a market through somebody else's license essentially. But the complicating thing with where we are currently in the United States with cannabis legalization federally is that we have a really good chance over the next couple of years of some major, um, movement on the federal side and that could that could happen in a number of different ways. There's a, a bunch of ways that would happen that would be really good for the cannabis industry. And there's a bunch of ways that would be not that great for the current cannabis industry. Like For example, if they move it off schedule one and onto schedule two or something like that, then all of these little cannabis companies on a state-by-state level are not going to be able to really participate in that on a federal level, that's gonna be probably reserved for pharmaceutical companies. Um, But then there's another thing that can happen, which is um, the federal government can just say, you know what, we're gonna completely back out of this. This is totally up to the states. You guys can have access to banking. This is fully decriminalized on the federal level. We don't care about it anymore. It's off the schedule. We're not gonna legalize it, but you guys can ship to wherever you want as long as the state you're shipping to is okay with it and you follow all those rules, we're, we're going to step away from that. If that's the case, then we can just ship from California to anywhere else in the country. We don't need to go set up other labs. We don't need to work on these, on these licensing arrangements. And so we're kind of stuck in this weird place of, um, we want to get into as many states as possible. We're still a relatively niche product. Um, and so it's better for us to have the largest addressable market we can. But if we go and license our product into, let's say Illinois, and we work with a licensed uh, manufacturer there, and they spend you know the hundreds of thousands of dollars to get the, the uh, facility set up, and they order all the equipment, and we train them, and they make all this product, and they make this huge investment into, into Kinslips, And then federal law changes and we can just ship it to Illinois. That's going to be really bad, (laughs) you know? So we're, we're in a really weird place where for the company, we want to be able to grow and we want to be able to get our solution to this specific cannabis problem to as many people as possible, but we really can't at the moment. We need a little more clarity on what's going to happen with federal legalization before we can take that risk
0: makes a lot of sense. And it's unfortunate because frankly this is one of the better products I've come across for a medicinal application cuz like you. you said you're not smoking it mm-hmm. and it's not a uh, unpredictable highly psychoactive edible. All right. <laughs> and and so many of the edibles as well they're they're confectionaries and putting in a punch of sugar and just crap that you don't need. How are you going to do something for your health that is against your health at the same time? It never made any sense to me.
1: Yeah, I completely agree.
0: Yeah. And so, but your product did one calorie or something like that? and
1: Less than one. We actually, so we legally, we can say zero calories because it's like 0.00 something like there's a ridiculously small amount of calories in it, but um, that seemed a little sketchy to us to just put zero because there there's not technically zero and we like to be as accurate as possible. So we put less than one on the packaging. Yeah, that's great.
0: Appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> but still, that, even to my point, there's no sugar in it. There's, there's no crap that's going to have any kind of adverse effect on your health beyond whatever kind of potential adverse effects might happen from the cannabis use, which right. are, are some mm-hmm. To put that out there. There are some yep. not very common, but there are some. So anyway, I would love to see it. I'm actually moving to Cleveland in the next couple months. And so that's a medical state there. Texas is not, but Ohio is. And it would just be wonderful to see your product out there. But. I guess we'll just have to wait for some kind of shift in the federal legalization.
1: Yeah, we're. I mean, we're also always exploring um, ways to get into the non-cannabis market too. Um, so you know, at the end of the day, we don't just have a cannabis product. We we've developed a drug delivery platform, and you can put things that aren't cannabis on this. Like you could put vitamin D in here, or you can put CBD from industrial hemp into a strip. Um, and so we are working on ways to get our form factor into other markets. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to do something early next year, but that would allow us to get at least like a CBD version of this product out into, um, basically every state in the country.
0: And so with with the CBD, CBN product that you have, is that have too high of a content of, of either, or, or too high of a content of THC in order to be able to pass?
1: No. So that one would pass if it was, Um, based on, um, the measure of how much THC is in the product it would technically pass as an industrial hemp product. But the issue is that in California market, if you're licensed to make cannabis products, you can't do anything else. So like, we can't make a hemp product at our facility and ship it out. And also, um, the way we have to, um, The way we have to organize our supply chain is around the the licensed metric system in California. And so everything that goes into our product, every cannabis um, element that goes into our product needs to come from marijuana grown in the States, like born in the States track and trace system and ending in the States track and trace system. So we never have the ability to actually use any industrial hemp based products in our cannabis products. Which makes absolutely, it makes no sense from like a reality perspective, you know, right. because it's the same plant. It's the same molecule. It doesn't make a difference, but whatever.
0: <laughs> it's quite ridiculous. Even just calling it hemp versus cannabis when it's all cannabis is so absurd. Yeah. It's very confusing. It is very confusing. It's confusing the public, which yes, deserve better. They, they really do. They do. Yeah. So what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you came across in trying to work within the cannabis industry? Because it's got a lot of rules.
1: Yeah, it does have a lot of rules. We, um, So we're very fortunate that our team um, is very good at, at adapting to weird nonsense rules. Um, and so um, like one of my, uh, my, my main business partner, he's a former lawyer and a CPA, or I guess still bar certified lawyer. Um, and he is just really amazing at navigating, you know, not just what these regulations say, but getting consensus from other lawyers and making sure that we're filling out all the paperwork appropriately. Um, and we've got a really great working relationship on on how we kind of handle these endless changes of regulations and and all that stuff in the business. I, I would say, I think that's probably the biggest challenge for most other people, but we're very fortunate that, that we are able to handle those situations. The biggest challenge for us has probably been the just segmented marketplaces for cannabis um that is the biggest challenge to growing our business because we are we're a niche product right and we have we started as kind of like this novelty product and we've slowly graduated into the niche category but we're definitely not mainstream yet and so when you have a niche product and especially a niche consumer consumer packaged good like cannabis has become and like kinslips is you really want to try to find the the largest addressable market you can so that you have the largest niche within that market to grow your business. And one of the problems that we run into is that even though we're in the largest cannabis market in the world in California, the portion of that market that knows about sublingual absorption gets what our product is and is looking for this as a solution is is still really small and so being able to grow the brand requires a ton of education because this is this is a solution that a lot of people are looking for even if they don't know it like a huge number of people in california who use cannabis for the first time or who are new cannabis consumers in this new regulated age tend to go for things like gummies gummies are the largest category of infused product period um and they have all these issues with gummies. Like if you ask people who use gummies, they think that they're too slow. They think that they're unpredictable. They don't like that there's all all the sugar in them, all the things that we were just talking about that Kinslips solves, right? And so they have all these kind of consumer gripes, but they're not aware of the solution until we get in front of them, waving a strip around going under the tongue, under the tongue. Um, And so it really just takes a monumental effort of educating people and creating that awareness about the solution that we have
0: it seems like the uh i like to call them dispensary technicians Mm because hopefully they get to that point where that's the case (laughs) yeah right now i guess they're still bud tenders Mm -hmm. so it might be advantageous to have that be the educational vehicle for you because they're the gatekeeper when it comes down to it
1: They are really the gatekeeper and it really depends on the specific retailer that you're going to, whether, whether the, um, what'd you call them dispensary technicians? Yeah. Whether, whether the the DTs, the techs, (laughs) whether they, um, Uh, are going to be receptive to that message or not. You know, you probably have experienced this from going into different dispensaries over the years. You'll go into some, and it's very clear that the people there are interested in cannabis science. They want to understand the consumer's um, need and try to provide them with the best product that they can when we go into dispensaries like that and we give them training and, and, uh, educational materials about our product, they're really, really receptive to it. And we see massive adoption of our product at places like that. Um, one place that comes to mind, uh, instantly is like Sava in San Francisco or the Urbana chain in San Francisco. They put a really big focus on um, educating their dispensary techs so that they can educate customers and provide the right solutions. And we do really well in those types of stores. But then there's also stores that exist to facilitate kind of large quantities of flour going out the door. And that's fine. There's tons of people who want to you know, who are looking to roll joints and who are looking to dab all day. And that is great. But those places generally don't tend to do very well with our product because those bud tenders, sorry, dispensary technicians are, um, they're, they're not looking for that as a solution in their life. They don't have, they're not experiencing the same issues that people who are using gummies and not really loving it are experiencing. And so they're less receptive to our message. It doesn't really stick with them and they don't pass it on. And even if they did, the people who are coming in those stores, aren't looking for a little slip anyway. So it's really about finding the right retailers to get your uh, product in front of, which going back to challenges in the industry in California, that's a huge, huge challenge right now, because there are so few retailers for the amount of people that are in california like if you look at um how many liquor stores are in california to distribute liquor and this is just liquor stores not bars and restaurants and all the other places where you can get alcohol there's like ten thousand liquor stores in california um this was the last time that i looked which is a couple years ago so there's probably more now but there's only 600 or so cannabis dispensaries in california brick and mortar and dispens delivery included. So the difference between the amount of just retail outlets that exist to get your product out to people um, in something like alcohol versus cannabis is totally, totally different as a huge, huge challenge for young brands like us.
0: Yeah, I can see that being the case. And also it speaks to something that's a major issue within the industry itself. And that is these more... Stoner focused dispensaries Mm -hmm. versus the more wellness-focused dispensaries. Right. And from my contacts that I have in Washington lobbying Capitol Hill, there is a movement towards a real bifurcation within the industry, Mm -hmm. allowing for these different segments to coexist in a way that is beneficial for all who want to exist in those places. You know, let the people who want to smoke a joint. Let them smoke a joint. They've been doing it for 10,000 years. They're going to keep doing it. But then there's also the segment of people that Kinslips is really trying to address that have specific medical needs that are not interested in smoking at all, may not even be interested in the euphoric effects of it, but want to have the medical benefits. And so they need their own lane and category. And so from what I'm hearing people in Washington are moving in that direction, which mm-hmm. I think will be incredibly beneficial for everybody involved.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, because there is, it's, it's just such an interesting and unique challenge to regulate the same thing in different ways you know, because that's what we're talking about at the end of the day is how do we regulate this in one way for this group of people and regulate basically the exact same thing in another way for this other group of people. Um, it just becomes really, really challenging. And ultimately I get to a point where I'm just like, why do we need any of these rules? Like who gives a crap? (laughs) Just let everybody have whatever they want. But, um, yeah, it, it is an interesting challenge just kind of you know, zooming out from the frustration of, of regulations for a second, and looking at kind of the brand marketing and products challenge of that. um, You, you really in cannabis, you have this unique challenge that you don't have anywhere else where you have a product that people are using the exact same product for partying, for um, wellness, meditation, um, things and for legitimate medical uses like treating cancer, chemotherapy, um, you know, chronic pain issues. And so there's such a massive, um, kind of spectrum of uses for cannabis that are completely unrelated to each other aside from the relation of cannabis itself. And so how do you create products and brands and messaging that speak to all these people, you know, like you can use this for, um, for dealing with intractable pain. And you can also use this for going to a party and having a good time. So it's really, it's really tricky, super tricky. I don't have the answers. I don't think anybody has the answers. I haven't really seen anybody handle it very well yet. I think so far the best, um, approach to it has been to just kind of pick a lane, as you said, and just make sure you're staying focused entirely on that lane.
0: Yeah. But it seems like you've been able to dabble in multiple areas and not have to stay in one lane.
1: Yeah. We try to walk a tightrope as we say, between that, um, the, the adult use side and the medicinal side. And it ends up being very, very wellness focused. Like the, I, th- I think the wellness kind of segment of cannabis has developed in response to the stark differences between the two ends of the cannabis use spectrum. Um, and so you can kind of accomplish both by just not, I mean, you can't make medical claims anyway, so that's fine. You, you don't have to worry about how to message a medical claim in an adult use product, but you can kind of stay like right in the middle and try to capture it as much as possible. But at the end of the day, we're really more of a, um, we really tend to fall more on the medicinal side, just based on the smokeless nature of our product. Um, and people who are looking for, the recreational benefits of cannabis, with the sort of medicinal benefits of the of a specific form factor, are going to tend to find us anyway.
0: Yeah. So who so far seems to be your biggest category of humans that are attracted? You
1: know, this it's really hard to say because we don't have. Um, not just us, but nobody in cannabis has good data on who their customers are because there's such a huge gap between you as the producer of the product and as the brand holder and who's checking out at the store. Um, our best guess, based on the limited data we have, is that we do really well with um, middle-aged women more than we do with like younger males. Younger males, not that interested in a... Um, in a sublingual strip, but somebody who has a lot of responsibility in their life where they can't risk a, uh, well, first it starts with, they are somebody who is a health conscious consumer. That tends to be, um, the kind of first criteria for being a Kinslips consumer, um, that draws you towards the smoke-free nature of the product. And then you're kind of looking at, do I want edibles? Do I want these gummies? Do I want a tincture? Do I want to try these strips? Um, and really quickly, they, they find that edibles are not reliable enough to use when you have responsibilities. So think about um, a mom with kids who might be kind of using cannabis as a wine replacement. Um, you don't want to necessarily take a gummy when you have your kids around if you don't know how that's going to feel in an hour and, and an emergency might happen, right? You really can't risk that. So you need something that is going to have a reliable uptake and a reliable effect. Um, so we tend to see that, um, kind of that, that, young mom crowd really gravitates towards Kinslips. We also see that young creative professionals, um, are big adopters of Kinslips specifically our Cloudbuster product. So this is people who, you know, maybe it's not like the traditional artists, you know, like kind of in a cabin with no rules in their life. This is more of like someone who might be a graphic designer at a large tech company this is someone who probably uses cannabis to enhance their work and, and enhance their creative output. Um, but but are somebody who can't like smoke a joint in the middle of the office or show up to work smelling like weed. So they would use something like Kinslips hide it in their desk, super discreet. Um, and that's, that's really kind of the ideal test case for someone who is looking for the discretion side of our product. Um, and then we also have pretty large adoption with the, uh, retiree crowd. So people who are kind of aging out of responsibilities, but they're aging into different types of pain and different um, different ailments that they're trying to treat. Um, any Any one of our products tends to work well for most of the things that they have. Um, and they're really not looking for smoking, as a, a way to ingest cannabis. They're really looking for a smoke-free option. Um, and they also are a, a group of people who tends to value reliability. They don't want to risk having a freak out or having some sort of um, adverse reaction to an edible when they can just have something like a Kinslet.
0: Yeah, a little more control over the outcomes. That yeah. makes sense, yeah. So what advice would you have for people trying to create products in the cannabis industry now?
1: Hmm. That's a great question. My my advice would be to um, make sure you are solving a real problem. Um, there's this s- phrase that I've been saying since I first got into cannabis and realized how easy it is to put cannabis into things, which is just because you can infuse something doesn't mean you should infuse something, right? Like you, yes, you can make a pillow with CBD in it. No, that's not a good product idea. Right. Um, I think that it's really important that if you are going to go through the effort, and this is not just for the consumer's benefit, this is for your benefit. It is a huge, huge amount of work. It's a massive undertaking to make any product. And making a cannabis product is really difficult too because you have all these layers of regulation on top of it. You have to make sure the packaging is compliant, you have to make sure the labeling is compliant, all your ingredients meet, you know, and any of the weird rules that are in there make sure that the the product you are trying to design solves a real problem people have, and not one that only exists in your little bubble. One of the things that I see a lot happening in cannabis when it comes to cannabis developing products is people only test their product concept or their MVP with other people like them. And for the most part, when you're creating a cannabis product, you're, you're probably not your target market. Um, and this, that's true for most product design. You're almost never your target market. You're trying to solve a problem for somebody else and you want to make sure you're testing it with them. So if you're a dispensary technician and you have a really, really high tolerance and you want to make a cannabis product, you're probably going to err on the side of making a massively high dosed cannabis product. And you're going to go test it with other dispensary technicians who are just like you, who... Uh, have these massive tolerances and who are looking for really high dose products. And everyone's going to tell you that it's awesome, right? This got me so high. I can love this thing. Awesome. Let's, this is great. You're going to sell a million of these. And then you get it in the store and you have massive competition because everybody else is doing the exact same thing. And you have a really limited market size because not really that many people are looking for that specific product. And if they are, they probably already have a version of it that they like. So just number one piece of advice, make sure you're solving a real problem. And the second piece of advice is make sure somebody else hasn't already solved that problem in a way that, that works. Like if you are, if you can solve a problem that is real, but somebody else has already solved it or a few other people have already solved it, then you're going to be fighting an uphill battle to even get on dispensary shelves. Um, and because there are so few retailers right now to get on the shelves for, if you don't have something that they obviously don't have, that people obviously need, you're probably just going to have to pay them to put it on your shelves, put it on their shelves. And it is going to, it's going to make your business impossible to, to grow.
0: Well, great pieces of advice. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. no problem. <laughs> so is there anything else you want to touch on before we, uh, we start to wrap things up?
1: I guess, um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like we covered pretty much everything. We talked about sublingual absorption. We talked about why strips are better than gummies, which is always one of my <laughs> main. Oh, I have points. I have one here that I, <laughs>
0: I see on my list that I didn't get to. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, charity and donations and Ooh. working with an organization like Sweetleaf.
1: Yeah. So um, we. Um, we met Sweetleaf Joe, or I met Sweetleaf Joe a few years ago at a, at a conference back when we could still do those. And we've been trying to find a way over the years to work together, to get our strips out to, um, people who need them in California. And a big part of the problem was never that we didn't have product available or that we had, didn't have the willpower to do it. It was just that for a long time after legalization happened in California, it was illegal to give cannabis to people who needed it. And so, thanks to um, the dedication of people like Sweet Leaf Joe and um, all the other people who work in his orbit around these compassion compassionate giving programs, we're now able to um, commit products to to these different groups. Um, and it takes a whole network of people. That get put together to do this you have to have the um, brands need to be there with products you need to have dis- distribution partners who will help get those out to retailers um, you need to have retailers who are set up um, as points of distribution um, legal legal points of distribution and then you need to have people um, and organizations like sweetleaf who can coordinate and facilitate all those things so it takes a massive amount of effort and we're we're just really really grateful that after a ton of work on their end, we're finally able to, you know, do our small part to kind of get product into, into that pipeline. Um, but yeah, that's, that was a big thing that we always tried to do from the very, very beginning of our company. Um, you know, we're, unfortunately we're not able to do this now because of how the regulations work. But in the very beginning, we were actually able to take our manufacturing waste, you know, like, um, uh, the, so, I guess to to describe this, I have to describe the the manufacturing process a little bit, but we basically make these huge long sheets of strips, like picture a giant four foot long, one foot wide strip kinslip, and then you process it down um, into the individual strips and then you package them up. And in the process of doing that, you'll have, you know, strips that aren't cosmetically perfect or aren't the right size. You'll have edge waste that gets trimmed off. You end up with kind of like 10% of all the strips you make end up in a bag of waste. And, um, originally we could just take those bags and give them to these organizations that had, um, you know, uh, veterans with PTSD issues with very, very low incomes or, um, uh, low income, uh, AIDS patients or, or senior citizens who really needed cannabis medicines. And they didn't really care if it was in a fancy packaging with like well-designed label on it, they just needed cannabinoids urgently. And we were able to give those out, um, basically for every batch, we would just give the waste away to people. And that was a really great way for us to with zero cost to us as a company, basically give back quote unquote to people. Um, so we've been trying to find a way to do that or to do a version of that ever since then. And and now we have Sweetleaf and we can um, get product into the channel that way. Unfortunately, we can't give our waste away anymore because the regulations don't really allow for that. Um, but we are able to give away our, our regular product.
0: Wow, that's so fantastic. And it's such a necessary aspect of the community because... Like you said, there are so many people that don't have any access to this medicine that they need. And Mm -hmm. obviously there's no insurance that's going to cover it. And the VA, which I I work with organizations that are actively trying to get the VA to accept medical cannabis because Mm -hmm. it's such a disgrace that they don't at this point.
1: Right. And it's so helpful for PTSD.
0: So helpful. So helpful. Yeah. There's dozens and dozens of studies around it. Right. Yeah. It's great um and then there's
1: actually there's two other organizations i'd like to shout out really quick there's um that we we donate to we don't really do much else than that so i don't want to put ourselves in a position of being like we work with them hand in hand we give them a little bit of money every month um but there's last prisoner project who does really really important work within the cannabis industry of trying to um eliminate nonviolent cannabis prisoners. So there's a huge problem even in legal states now where there are all kinds of people incarcerated for nonviolent cannabis offenses while people like me get to go out there and try to make money selling cannabis, which is exactly what landed them in prison. Um, And so organizations like Last Prisoner Project are doing really great work to try to release incarcerated people. Um, help people who have cannabis crimes on their record, get those expunged and then lobby for um, auto expungement laws and lobby for um, nonviolent cannabis uh, prisoner releases. Uh, so that's a great organization that people can check out. And another one is the Floret Coalition. Co- coalition, Sorry, Floret Coalition. Um, this is a group that was put together by Broccoli Magazine, which is a lifestyle cannabis magazine. And what's really great about what they do is they have an independent board that once a month picks, uh, a charity to donate to. And the charity usually centers around, um, uh, people of color, um, um it depends on the month and, and what specifically is going on in the world that month, but they tend to find great charities that are working in that area. And then they get this huge group of, of companies that have signed up to be part of this coalition to donate to that one particular charity, um, for that month. And so I think right now, um, the total, um, giving power of the group is somewhere around $11,000 a month which is really great so we can go into these organizations that you know operate on really really slim budgets and give them like 3 months of runway all at once because they've been able to organize so many people and so many dollars around it so definitely check them out if anybody's able to go support them it's such a great organization so that's florette florette yep f l o r e t
0: right cuz it's broccoli magazine broccoli florets clever exactly yeah got it <laughs> <laughs> and then last prisoner project as well um i I'm actively working on getting Steve D'Angelo on the show. Nice. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. He's tougher to come by.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's a tough one to land.
0: He is. He is. All right. So we're going to go with the last question here. And that's what's the one change that you would really like to see within the medical cannabis industry? You could see anything happen right now.
1: I would love to see the child resistant packaging laws go away. I think this is... Um, one of the biggest threats to kind of cannabis's moral high ground, um, if it can claim one anymore, is that the packaging impact of cannabis products is atrocious and it's atrocious because of the regulations that require child-resistant packaging. Um, you can go into any liquor store in America, or you can have a kid can walk into a grocery store and wander through the liquor aisles. and none of that stuff has child resistant packaging on it any kid can go and pop the cork on a wine bottle pop the cork on a vodka bottle like and then ingest a toxic and deadly amount of this substance right whereas cannabis yes it's not good for kids to ingest a lot of cannabis for sure but it's not there's no way to have a fatal dose of of cannabis and it is generally in my opinion not the industry's job to protect people from bad parents if you are a bad parent, and you have cannabis in your house, and your kid gets a hold of it, that's your problem. That's not the cannabis industry's problem. The amount of plastic that is going into sewage systems and landfills and into our waterways and, and everywhere because we have to have these extra layers of plastic crap for regula- regulators to feel better about regulating this product is just absolute nonsense, in my opinion.
0: Uh, I'm glad you pointed that out. That was one comment that my sweetie had. She was like, "What's with this packaging? This seems like there's a lot going on here for yeah. such a little thing."
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and it's something you know. I don't want to. Um, I don't want this to come off as like we're better than everybody else here. We try our best to have as sustainable of a packaging as we can. We've just switched to all metal outer packaging that has the CRP component there. Um, metal is um, reusable and pretty recyclable. It doesn't have um, an amazing carbon footprint for the recycling of it itself, or the the reuse of it itself, but it is a material you can use over and over and over again, unlike plastic, which just gets chucked in the garbage. Um, and we've recently gone through a transition with the, uh, pouches inside that actually hold the individual strips They used to be made entirely out of plastic because that was where our child resistant, um, layer was, and now they're mostly paper. So there's a little bit of plastic in there cause you have to get them to seal, but we've reduced the amount of plastic we use on just our pouches by 75% recently.
0: Great. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Doing good things for the world, doing good things for people. And I think, I don't know if you mentioned it at all, but your product is all natural, vegan, mm-hmm. gluten-free, all that good stuff. And yep. I appreciate everything that you're doing. And thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Matthew. I really appreciate it.
0: i am so grateful for people like josh that are pushing this industry forward you remember back in the day when there are two ways that you could get to your cannabis you could either smoke it or you could eat it in some kind of brownie or cookie or something like that. And that was it. Now we have all these different ways, all these different tinctures and even patches and this sublingual strip is so cool and it comes on extremely fast it has no calories so there's no sugar or empty crap that you might be putting in with some kind of other edibles and also doesn't go through that, that first pass digestion which turns TH into something almost completely different that is very unpredictable. So Super cool technology. I'm really happy that Kinslips exists. I'm really happy I had a chance to have Josh on the show. And if you know folks that you think would be great for this show, hit me up. Matthew at edgeofcannabismedicine.com is the email. I would love to hear from you, whether it's you or someone you know, or just anything you want to tell me about your experience listening to this show uh, is greatly appreciated. And until next time, my friends, please stay healthy, and enjoy yourselves. This Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast is copyright EM2P2, Inc. 2020, all rights reserved. Podcast use and availability is governed by terms and disclaimers available at edgeofcannabismedicine.com forward slash terms. I'm your host, Matthew and Thank you for listening.